Hi folks, this is Jack Spears here with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Wednesday, September the 7th, 2011. This is episode 739, and we're going to do something a little bit different today. I don't think I've ever actually done a show quite like this before. I've talked about the educational system before. I've given some solutions to the educational system before, but today I'm going to do a show talking about coming up with new ways to help our children learn, uh, and with a big focus on conventional education and how I think it can change, and then what we can do as parents when we're in a system that we can't change for now. There's a lot of parents that are doing a great job as homeschoolers. There's a lot of parents that can't homeschool. They just can't do it because it doesn't fit their lives well, and their options for a private education are severely limited, if not completely impossible. So they have to deal with a child that goes to the public education system and goes into that limited system, and they want to expand them beyond it. And how can we encourage that? How can we help our children, even in the conventional system we might disagree with, get the most out of it? That's what we're going to talk about today. I do think it's a survival topic because if we would teach our children better, our families would stay together better. And if we're not surviving for our families, what are we surviving for, folks? And how can this nation and our culture survive if our families don't stay together and well-educated children become, that become adults with leadership principles instilled in them are a big part of that. So that's why we're going to talk about this subject today. And there's a reason we're talking about it today. Somebody's disagreement with a segment I did yesterday, but we'll get to that in a minute and we'll let them be heard and then you'll hear me and you can decide for yourself which one makes more sense for you, your life and your kids and the people that you interact with on a daily basis. Before we do that though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do an awful lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, KnifeKits.com. Now what I love about knife kits is that if you've never made a knife before in your life, but you can use basic hand tools and maybe watch a DVD or read a book, you can go there and kind of get some basic materials that are pretty much halfway there and put together your own custom unique knife and teach yourself things about final fit and finish and sharpening uh, and selecting materials and steel types and things like that. Or if you're a master bladesmith that forges your own blades in a forge, you can go get the most exotic and interesting raw materials from a steel and handle standpoint you could find anywhere. And you have everything in between those two spectrums. So if you're interested at all in learning how to make knives and make great knives and make something custom and useful to yourself, check out KnifeKits.com. And remember, they have a cool catalog they'll mail you if you just request it on their website. That's absolutely free. And I actually enjoy looking through that catalog more uh, than going through the links on the website. And then when I want to buy something, I go to the site and look it up. I just find it more useful that way. I wish more companies would stick to having a paper catalog. KnifeKits has one. It's a great one. Consider ordering a copy if you're interested in making knives. Next up today, Sawtooth Tactical, run by a veteran up there in Idaho, uh, veteran-owned and veteran-operated, which means you're going to get exactly what you would expect from a veteran, excellent freaking service and 
top quality organization. Also, great products, great pricing to go along with that great service. And what will you find at Sawtooth Tactical? Anything you can think of to live that tactical lifestyle from SOE Tactical Gear to Magpul Magazines and everything you can think of in between. Check out Sawtooth Tactical for all your tactical equipment needs. They have great stuff, man. And if you tell them in the comment section, I uh, found you on TSP, they usually toss something extra in there. One day I got an order from them and they threw me a hank of, uh, of parachute cord. Another time they actually threw me some little lollipops. I thought that was kind of cool, man. Uh, I'm not big on lollipops, but my wife likes them, so uh, you never know what they'll toss in if you tell them that you found them on the Survival Podcast. Uh, next up, remember to uh, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Remember to check out our forum. Check out our gear shop. We have some cool sh stuff in the gear shop. We have a new version of the French press mugs. There's not that many in stock. Tiffany is about to package them all up to me, all up for me, and send them to Colorado. Uh, and I will have them in the booth there for sale, whatever's left. Uh, that means you have a day or two to order one of the new models. They have a reinforced handle. They have several upgrades to them and a new design. Remember, I mean, if the power's out and you got to have that cup of joe, French press is the way to go. You'll find that in our gear shop. Uh, next up, remember, the way you can support this show, if you, if you like what you hear every day, If you think this show is worth 20 cents an episode, then I'll ask you to consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you will support the show. That's the primary purpose of the Supporting Members Brigade, to support what I do here. It's how I pay the bills, uh, far more than how I pay the bills with sponsors. And uh, that's great, and I appreciate that. But when I set that up in the beginning, I wanted to make sure if you gave me money, I gave you more back. So here's what I give you back. Discounts to 29 vendors now uh, that range from you know 5% to 10%, some stuff electronic product, 50% discounts. Uh, Discount Buyers Club from Safecastle is a $29 value. You get that for free. $50 uh, is what it costs for the preferred membership in Western Botanicals, where you get 25% off everything. That's $50 bucks a year. If you're MSB, you get that for free. By the way, Western Botanicals is doing a 10% off sale for all Survival Podcast listeners this month. And if you are in the preferred membership through, through, the, um, through your uh, MSB, you get the 10% on top of your 25%, so 35% off. Uh, so there's, you know, there's a lot of great stuff there. Over $150 worth of free eBooks. Uh, some videos that are available nowhere else. So the membership pays for itself. Just want to point that out today. I don't really sell the thing hard very often, but every once in a while I need to drum up a little business. Remember, if you are military, law enforcement, or Peace Corps active duty, or prior service, you email me before you join, and I will give you a special discount code. Existing members that are, that are in that class that want the discount, your membership will have to expire before you can get the next one. If you email me before you expire, I'll tell you how to cancel your renewal and, and then sign up with a new subscription after requirement. I can't convert you over. I've had a lot of requests for that lately. It's not that I don't want to. I can't do it. PayPal doesn't work that way. All right, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. When I put this show together, I sat down to type the title and the blog that goes with the show notes. I usually do most of the show notes before I actually start. That gives me an outline, unlike the days in the car where my outline was 10 bullet points on a note card that I threw away at the end of the day, which was probably a mistake. I should have kept those. Anyway, I sat down and I wrote episode-739-space. dash dash And then I typed changing the wage, and I was going to type, we teach our children. And I stopped when I got to the way. I said, that's not the right words. So I changed it to, to changing the way children learn. 
And I did that because I realized that if I called it changing the way we teach our children, we would miss the entire point. And to me, this is one of the biggest problems we have with the modern education system. We teach instead of encouraging people to learn. And I think a lot of what you're going to hear today, if you are a college student or you're past or never going to go and an adult, this applies to how you should be learning as well. So even if you don't have kids or your kids are past the learning stage, I think you're going to get a lot out of today's show. And I want you to understand something because there's so many people who want to learn new things and they want to go get somebody to teach them instead of learning how to do it. And the problem with that is when you teach, you push information. When you encourage a person to, to learn, you as a teacher are pulled by your student for information. Now, I've been in marketing a long time, and I've been in sales a long time. And I'll tell you, there's two different ways that you can market or sell a product. One is to push it in, and the other one is to have the person want to buy it and try to figure out how to do business with you and pull the information out of you. Can you give me a deal? Can I get financing? Those are buyer questions. Right? When you are in sales and marketing, you love questions like that. Does it do this? Is it warranted? All of those things are great. When I have to sit there and tell you that stuff and you're not asking me, my odds of closing the deal go down. Well, that's how education works. If I can get you asking me how, what, why, etc. as a teacher, I can get you to learn because you are receptive to the information. Apparently, no one teaches that in our modern education system. I'll bet you anybody out there with a teaching degree that's teaching children or teaching at the college level that might be pissed at me by the end of the day, I bet no one in your education on being an educator ever told you that. And if they did, thank God you had a mentor like that. Because it's very, very important that you understand that if you want kids to learn, if you want anybody to learn, if you want a 70-year-old man to learn. The way to get people to learn is to get them asking questions and then fulfill their desire to know the answer, not to force information they have no interest in into their brains. Now, there are some basic fundamentals we'll get to in a minute, but I want you to think about this. I don't think many people ever consider this for a second. No person asks questions that start with why more than a child. Think about a little kid, five, six years old. Why is the sky blue? Why do I have to tie my shoes? Why, 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 why? To the point where parents are like, oh my God, go to school so someone else can answer these questions. Now, given that's a case, why do kids always end up bored in school? How do they get from wanting to know the why of everything to bored, apathetic teens in just a few years of school? If that's what happens, can we really blame them when the results of our system are so uniform? And I mean, they are uniform. If you think about the average 14, 15-year-old kid in high school, they're bored to tears. You know, even the good students are bored in half of their classes at least. If we're, if we're creating that result, if we have school systems with 50% dropout rates, and we do, that we keep shoving money into like Dallas, Texas, 50% of students that begin school in Dallas, Texas never graduate. Never graduate. Now the sad fact is most of them that don't graduate can take a six-month course, pass a GED, and have a, call, a high school equivalency. But can we blame the kids when we have those types of results in such large numbers? Or do we have to actually take some look at the system? You know, today's episode was inspired by a comment in response to the segment I did yesterday on unschooling. Uh, unschooling is, if you missed yesterday's show, it's where children are largely self-directed in their learning and study what they are most interested in. 
Most of the feedback I received on that was great, but one commenter left the following comment. Jack, your remarks on one step beyond homeschooling, unschooling, are completely wrong and disturbing, not that I expected you to be perfect. Let me stop there a second. Because it's going to be very hard for some of, some of you guys out there that have completely swallowed the pill on the way education is supposed to be done, especially if you're in the business on some level, or you've invested a lot in your education, you've went through a lot of boring classes that you can't remember anything about, but you base your success on the fact that you did that. And let me clue in on the first problem here with this person's comments. Are completely wrong. Disturbing, we can let go. Disturbing's fine. If you're disturbed, you're disturbed. Completely wrong. If you're going to learn... If you're going to freaking learn, anybody out there, including me, you can't look at a subject this diverse and say that anybody is completely wrong. That's a very closed-minded, myopic view. When you say somebody is completely wrong, and you haven't even examined the results of what the alternative brings. Let me continue to read. Let the children discover what he like, which maybe you should have learned better how to write. By the way, I, I, I corrected a lot of spelling here. Um, I'm no one to lecture anybody on spelling because I frankly don't care. I bang it out and throw it out there, and it's the reason I do an audio store. Uh, but but this guy, uh, I'm going to change this today in the in the show notes now that I've saw that one. Uh, but got a lot wrong, like using a, a lot of words like experience. Spelled it wrong four times, three times. Uh, let me just read. I don't want to belittle the guy that commented over something like that. It's not fair. Um, let the children discover what they like is nothing more than parents skipping their parenting responsibility to educate their children and a petty excuse. Parents have a responsibility to orient their children because they do have live experience. Live experience. In contrast, the children have almost no experience and lots of romanticism. How does the children discover that he wants? By analyzing his own ignorance? <laughs> I think he wants, I'll fix this. Uh, God, wow. I, I just corrected the misspellings. This, this guy doesn't write very well. Maybe he's a product of our, our modern education system. Another problem is that it opens the door for children to escape reality by studying, quote, cool, unquote, but ultimately irrelevant subjects in order to escape their petty lives. Their petty lives. How do you know that their lives are petty, friend? Uh, this is going to create a lot of little Niccolo Machiavelli who are become a philosopher because his life sucked. Really. A lot of people have philosophy degrees. Uh, in short, unschooling is a petty excuse for parents to escape their responsibility. Children have not enough life experience or stability to do important life decisions, and this will certainly result in children escaping reality and BS studies, just like the example in your article studying exogeology. I find this very myopic and self-limiting, folks. I really do. Uh, it sounds angry to me. Um, I'll tell you what, first of all, let me explain something to you about children. If you want to be a good parent, if you want to be a good educator, if you want to be a good mentor, if you want to interact with kids at all, on any level, and have a positive influence, there's one very important thing that most adults have forgotten. Children are freaking people, okay? They have independent minds and thoughts, and they can think at a much higher level than you think they can. Children are not stupid. Children are not ignorant, There may be things they are ignorant of, but they are not ignorant beings. In fact, most kids, until we beat the, the desire to learn out of them, until we beat the creativity out of them at about 10, are smarter than the average adult walking around because they haven't had it sucked out of them by life in a system that limits them. Most children are smarter than most adults until we screw that up. 
So these comments coming from this individual anger me because I know how ingrained this philosophy is in people. Children have this huge desire to know things. And our public education system literally saps it from them in a few years. Show me an enthusiastic 10th grader in school today. It's less than 10%. And even that 10%, like I said, half of what they're doing, they're completely bored with. Also, think about this. It's a bullshit study, in this person's opinion, for this child to study exogeology. Exogeology, for those who didn't catch the, the show yesterday, is the study of the geology of planets elsewhere in our solar system or elsewhere in our universe. In other words, how the mountains on Mars got the way that they are. Why a volcano is erupting on another planet. How long it's been since a volcano erupted on another planet. These are irrelevant studies. To me, they're a hell of a lot more relevant than the revisionist history most of our children learn. Let's just talk about a few things maybe you've learned on this show or through other alternative media, if we want to call it that, that you probably didn't learn in school. One thing I've been very clear about since the beginning of this show is the importance of understanding your rights as an American citizen and as a human being on this planet. And that if we don't have our rights, surviving doesn't really matter very much, that the two go hand in hand. And many of the things that we need to do to be independent, it is incumbent that we have the rights to go along with them so we can exercise that independence. And I've taught, I think, probably at least half the audience something they never heard before they got here. And I guarantee you the other half that knew this probably didn't learn it in school. The Bill of Rights doesn't give you rights. The Bill of Rights protects the rights that you are seen to inherently have as an individual because you were created by God and walk on planet Earth as a human being. Is that relevant? I think it's extremely relevant in our lives. If anybody out there learned that in grade school or high school, please email me and tell me the name of the teacher who taught you that so I can recognize them as teacher of the century. Because I bet none of you did. I sure as hell didn't. So how relevant is it if we're teaching our children things in school that are wrong just because it's how you get a certificate that says you can qualify to go get another certificate that says you can qualify to go hunt for a job? How relevant is it? when we're teaching them information that's not factual. Let's think about war for a minute and how we teach our children about war. This was my vision of war when I came out of high school. I probably wouldn't have articulated it this way yet, but it was certainly in me, and it was certainly something that carried me a long way before I self-learned that it wasn't true. What I learned about war was that war was, yes, a bad thing, and we shouldn't do it unless we absolutely have to. But the picture painted of war was the following. When war had to be fought, people went and fought it, lots of people died, and in the end, the good guy generally won. Once the good guy won and everybody came home, even though a lot of lives were lost and sacrifices were made, things were generally better after the war than before the war. Now, it's important that you understand the subtlety there. Better after the war than before the war. That's not better after the war than during the war. And generally, no matter who wins in a war, once a war ends, things are better for both sides after the war is over than during the war being fought. But are they really better than they were before the war? We can look at certain things like, okay, we can look at the Civil War. Well, we probably could have ended slavery uh, without the Civil War. Everybody else seemed to figure out how to do it. 
how many rights and individual states' rights were lost by the time the Civil War was over. So in that case, something good came out of it, but I would tell you that free blacks were more oppressed after the Civil War than before. That's sad, but it's true. I'm not saying we shouldn't, I mean, we should have never even had slavery in this country. When we declared independence from England and put a constitution in place after that, after we won that war, we should have said, hey, you know what, this doesn't, these two don't go together anymore. I don't care if you want to grow your cotton. Tough shit. Figure another way out to do it. That's what we should have done. We didn't. But did everything get better or for a decade was this nation still tearing itself apart? You see, it's so easy to just believe everything's better after than before. And that's how we're taught in school. It's not always the case. In fact, it's usually not the case. And somebody would point to Hitler in World War II and about all the people that were executed in gas chambers and concentration camps. And I agree, that was a tragedy that had to end. But if we didn't fight World War I the way we did, we wouldn't have had a World War II. Adolf Hitler couldn't have existed without World War I. Did they teach you that in school? You might have learned that one. I don't know. Is anybody really better off after the Vietnam War? And just because some people are better off, does that mean that in general the nation is better off? I mean, that's what we go to war for, right, is to preserve and defend and protect our nation. Doesn't that mean that we should be better off after a war than before a war as a nation, as a collective people? We should be more free, not less free? We've had a war on terror for 10 years. Are we more or less free? We had enemies before the war started. Do we have more or less enemies now? I don't want to go into politics too much. I just want to say that you come out of school with a belief system that's untrue. So how effective is that education? There's also a lot of people out there that think there's no possible way that we could let children just do whatever they want to uh, when it comes to their studies. It's just It just won't work physically. It's, it's, it's impractical. Kids don't have enough of a basis to do this. Well, let me start out with kind of how I think we could do this and make this work. First of all, I do think there is a place for push teaching in the beginning. And I don't think you have to push very hard if you use interactive learning. But we do need to teach children 2 plus 2 is 4, 6 plus 4 is 10, etc. And I can tell you by the teenagers that I deal with, when I, when I need change made because I'm using cash, a lot of times they're not learning that. So the current system's not even getting that done. So maybe there is some room for some improvement there. How many of you people have ever handed a 16 or 17-year-old kid a $20 bill and a penny for something that was uh, $17.51 and had their face go blank? That's what our current education system's giving us. That's the top quality education. Some of those kids are coming out of schools where we're spending ten to twelve to fifteen thousand dollars a student per year to put that student through high school, and they can't do twenty dollars and one cent minus seventeen dollars and fifty one cent in their head. They can't even figure out how to put it in the freaking cash register. So maybe there's some room for improvement just in that. And what I'm saying is, what if? A child went to school with this philosophy. Every year that you're in school, you'll have more freedom in what you learn and how you learn it and how you're graded and who directs your learning and what your choices are. If you meet certain criteria, 
So, you know, kindergarten is how to stay in the lines, how to read your basic ABCs, maybe a little bit of math. One and one is two. See, here's two toys, Johnny, right? And we have one and one, and together they make two. And first grade, we keep pretty much the way that it is now, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. And I think by fourth grade, when you're going into fifth grade as a student, you should probably have about 20% of your time to do whatever you want to with. Because by fifth grade, you should have been able to learn to read sufficiently to be self-directed to learn more reading. Let me tell you how this works. When you give a kid a story that's interesting, that he wants to read, and there's a word in it he doesn't understand, he says, what does this mean? And you as a teacher sometimes say, Johnny, this is what this means, and you just tell him. Sometimes you say, it means go to the dictionary. If he's interested in it, he will go to the dictionary and learn what the word means. Over time, he'll get to words he doesn't know, he don't know what they mean, right? He doesn't have a clue what they mean when he sees the word stand alone, but he'll learn to interpret by something we try to teach people in school, context clue. Remember context clue when you're a little kid? Right? You don't really know what the word means, but if you read all the words around the word, you know what those words mean, you can probably figure out what that word means. And he'll start to think, and he'll start to evolve. This is a lot like the way we raised our son. When I came into Matthew's life, he was six years old. He's 22 now. Um, he has he has a job he's held for five years. 22 and he has a job he's held for five years. Think about that. He has thousands of dollars in the bank in savings. He's got mutual funds. He's got an IRA. He's got a couple years of college under his belt. And he doesn't know what he wants to do, but he's paying his own bills and he saved the money. And he has a foundation in life to go do whatever the hell he wants to do next. How did he get that way? A big part of it is this. Once I became a father figure and it was decided that I was going to be as involved as any father in his life, and what I told my wife is I'm all in or all out. I'm not half in. It doesn't work that way. I can't be cut off at the knees by you when you disagree with me. If we disagree about something, we'll talk about it behind closed doors and we'll come out with a uniform decision. If I tell him something you totally disagree and we talk about it and I don't, and I eventually agree with you, I will tell him I changed my mind. You will never change my mind for me in front of that child. Just a little step parenting advice there because it worked very well. But what we did is we sat down and we had a conversation with him and we said, listen, you're six years old, you have a lot of rules. My goal is that when you're seven year old, you're going to have less rules. And when you're eight years old, you're going to have less rules. And when you're nine years old, you're going to have less rules. And by the time you're about 18, your only rules are going to be common courtesy of letting us know when you're coming and going because you live in our home until you move out. And at that point, you have no rules at all. And even at 18, I want you to be an adult, I want you to be a stand-up man, and I don't want to tell you what you can and cannot do anymore. I will help you make decisions whenever you want me to. I can tell you, friends, it works. It works very, very good because the, the person, and again, a child is a person. Please start using that term when you talk about children. It will help you see them as what they are. In many ways, they are your equal. In some ways, they are not. They have growing to do. But in many ways, in the most important ways possible, they are your freaking equal. And if you start talking to them that way, they'll start listening to you. We like to have conversations with contemporaries. We generally do not like to be lectured down to. So talk to children like people, not like children, and they will come up to you. If you talk to them like children, they will stay subservient when they're in front of you, and they would amaze you if you knew what they were saying when you weren't around, both good and bad. You want them to come up to your level, talk to them at your level. They will come up. It's a natural thing. So in schools, we follow the same pr progression. That Okay, you do have to be able to know basic math, basic reading, basic writing. All of that can be learned studying subjects of your choice, though. 
let me bend this around you. Let's say you had a kid that was just totally into guns. He just thought guns were great. We didn't live in a society where if a kid drew a picture of a soldier with a gun at school, we sent him home. We live in a society like I did 25 years ago where, you know, I one day showed my shotgun to my dean of education, uh, my, my school dean, because we were going dove hunting after school. And he said, oh, really? Let me see it. Let me see what you got. All right? If we were back in that world, which wasn't that long ago. So the kid loves guns. You say, well, how can he learn about math? Hey, do you know what ballistics is? Do you know how much math a person can learn with ballistics if they're actually interested in it? And then they can go out and actually see the results and measure the results and did the results you computed match with the results in the field? That's just one example. No matter what you want to do, I can promise you there's things that you can learn from it. You can learn math in anything. You can learn reading in anything because you're going to read about it. You can learn writing in anything because one of your assignments can be to write about it. You just get to pick the subject matter. So your writing can be improved and judged. You will learn history. How did it get that way? How did we get to a point today where we have, if the kids in the video games, video games that we do today look this real, what was the base programming that led up to this? How did the There's history there. How far back does that history go? Further than you think. A kid that's really interested in that, that's encouraged to explore it, will probably know more about history than the average person, at least as it relates to that individual subject. So what if students were put on this progression? Here's your minimum. This is certain things that you need to be able to do to function in society. Read, write, and math at a certain level. And that's kind of like the standardized testing, but different. Okay? Because it's not if he puts the comma in the wrong place, he failed, and the teacher gets a demerit. Can you function? And can, do you have the ability to learn more about it if you choose to? And as long as you meet those minimums going up, you get more and more freedom in school to do what you want. If you don't, you stay locked into a more structured program. Now, do you know the big problem with that? Teachers. Teachers would be required, be required to be more intelligent and better able to read a variety of materials to judge the accuracy of the material. Think about this. I want you to really think, and some of you teachers are going to be really mad at me today. It's not your fault. I'm not blaming you for this. I'm blaming the system for this. But follow me on this. Right now we have a lot of teachers out there teaching something we call third grade. Third grade's not real advanced stuff. It's just not. Um, you know, kids only have a certain amount of knowledge by the third grade. Uh, it's not hard to do. Fourth grade's harder. It's supposed to be. That's why fourth comes after third. And then there's fifth and sixth, and it progresses on. But in third grade today, we have degreed professionals with four-year college degrees that have gone through a rigorous hiring process and have spent lots of money on their own education. They've gone K through 12 on their own and then four years of college. And they've taken all that education so that they can be packaged into a system to teach third graders. Now, here's the reality. Given if you had a way to take like a shot and inject maturity, right, so that you had maturity, the person looked older, uh, they, they knew how to control a room, basically they could do the job as a nursery school person, a daycare person, a person who got straight A's in the fourth grade should be able to teach third grade. And if you don't agree with that, tell me one reason why not. Again, other than the fact that they're too young to control a room and be respected by the students. And a little bit is feared by the students, right? Teachers, a little bit of that fear factor, and that keeps them control over rambunctious kids. But if a person 
had a fourth grade education, should they not be able to teach everything that's necessary at the third grade level? So why do we have degreed professionals? And in some school districts, degreed professionals that not only get three months a year off, but have Cadillac insurance programs, Cadillac retirement programs, and great pay. I know somebody's going to write me, I'm a teacher, I make $28,000, I pay my own insurance. I know, I know. But they're not everyone. We have districts like that. Lots of them. Tons of them. Why? Why do we have a person with that much training teaching third grade? And let me tell you where I think it would make sense. If that third grade teacher rolled up into their class and they said, Mrs. Simmons or whatever her name, or Mr. Smith or whatever, you're teaching third grade at Joe Blow Elementary School. Here is the minimum requirements we expect your children to meet by the end of the year. This is what they're going to be tested to. You teach it however the hell you want to. You want to take them on a field trip as long as they pay for it? We don't care. Get permission slip sign and go do it. You want to show them movies? We don't care. You want to lecture? Fine. You want to do projects? You do whatever the hell you want to, but make sure they learn enough to be able to do this. I could see having a degree professional do that job. It would require one. You would have to formulate your own structure. You would have to come up with your own things that you're going to teach. You would have to evolve your lessons over time so that you were a better teacher in your 10th year than you were in your first year, hopefully a lot better. That the kids coming out in your 10th year would be more qualified to go on in life than the ones through your first year. That's not fair to the children. Well, it's reality. But what happens? Instead, when you're a teacher today, you're told this is what you're going to do. Now, here's the reality. We could take anybody with a high school education, give them a six-month course on how to control children in an institutional environment, hand them that same lesson plan, and they could teach second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, probably right up into high school because they could teach the subjects they were familiar with. So if they sucked at math, they could teach history. We don't need anybody with a college education to be educating our children in elementary or high school unless we're teaching advanced classes in high school under the current system. Under the current system because the entire way that the children will be taught is already written down and if you can read it and follow it, you can do the job. Now, I got some teachers really pissed off at me right now. I'm sorry that you're pissed off at me. I didn't do it. And some of you are great teachers, and, and you go beyond this, and you know what? Great, and I think you should do it, and I think you should do more of it. And every single one of you that's really a great teacher is breaking the rules, and good for you. But understand that. And anybody that had a great teacher or knows a great teacher, your teacher's breaking the rules. They're not doing what the state and the local government tells them to. Now, there might be some rare exceptions. There might be some places where this stuff's encouraged. But most of it, it's not. And we all have to be on. If we want to fix a problem, first we must acknowledge it. If you are an alcoholic, you cannot become well until you admit you're an alcoholic. If you are a drug addict, you cannot become well until you say, I am an addict. If you are fat and overweight and need to lose weight until you admit, I am a fat person, I eat too much, you cannot lose weight. It won't happen. If we have a school system that's failing... Because it's been formulated down to a level of failure, we must admit that. And if we don't, we can't fix it. And, well, what kind of future can a child look forward to that learns this way? Well, I'm going to tell you something uh, that you may have a hard time really accepting. I am largely an unschooled child. 
I went to school because I had to, because there was a law that said I had to. And up through about fifth grade, I learned some basic stuff. I learned to read and do write, and I learned to memorize some things, and I learned what a, what a preposition was, and I learned how to do multiplication and subtraction and division and stuff like that. Um, but I really spent more time reading books from the library than I did reading textbooks. By fifth grade, uh, in history class and in, in science class and things like that, uh, I had taught myself to read to a level where I could pick up a textbook that you would give a fifth grader as a fifth grader, and I could just sit there and read it. While the teacher was running her mouth, basically saying what was in the book, I was reading the book. She's talking about chapter two. I'm a 19. By the time I got to the end of the book, I could throw the book aside, and I didn't give a damn, and just give me the test and let me take it. Some people say, well, then you should be in a gifted program. No, I found the entire thing boring. What am I going to do? Go, go, go take the next level of history that I'm going to find boring? Why? Because they weren't actually teaching me anything. I was learning myself because I had an interest in it. I could also identify about a hundred different species of snakes by the fifth grade because I thought that was interesting too. I knew what herpetology was in the fifth grade because I thought that was interesting. I, our friend that commented would say that's irrelevant, and I would ask if there's anybody making a living in the field of herpetology, and the answer is there's hundreds of thousands of people doing that. They work in zoos. They work for scientific research institutes. It wasn't eventually what I was going to do, but I had an interest in it, and I explored it. Moreover, though, this is the fifth business I've started. I've, I've had five businesses in my life that I've been a part of as a founder, as a starter. I've got a couple now that I wouldn't even call businesses yet. They're more an incubation stage. But true, let's go do it. I've done that five times. I failed once, completely failed miserably once, and four times I've been successful to the point of selling out to partners or you know just basically business running its course, and I don't want to do it anymore and closing it down. But four have been successful. Didn't learn a damn thing about that in school. Not a single freaking thing did I learn in school that helped me do that. Today I'm a podcaster. That means that I have a variety of skills that have made me successful. I know how to market online. I know how to use social media. I know how to blog, which many of you do as well, by the way. I know how to do basic audio recording and editing. I know how to publish that. I know how to get that information portable so that other people can find it. I know how to set up forums. I know how to set up a team that can run a forum so they do it and I don't have to. I know how to get them to do that as volunteers and eventually build their own business unit and make their own money out of something they started out as volunteers. And the ones that are exceptional will do better than the ones that aren't. I know how to do all that. I know how to articulate thoughts. I know how to teach. I know all of the things that I teach you every day. Uh, if you listen to this show more than once or twice, I bet you're learning lots of stuff here, and you're learning it because I have a skill of teaching, which is mostly by talking about things you'll find interesting and letting you pick the ones you actually want to learn. I know all of this stuff. It's all self-taught. It's 100% self-taught. Now, there's been people that have helped me along the way. There's been mentors. There's been networks that I've been part of where people within them have shared information with me. Uh, a lot of people went on and developed things that I went and looked at and saw what they did and made better and learned to troubleshoot. I learned a lot from the military just in three years about process and procedure and troubleshooting. But I learned almost nothing in high school that's of any relevance to me whatsoever today. Now, a lot of you that are going to tell me how important the way we educate is and how it should stay the way that it is are not that successful and you won't be. You could, but you won't be. 
because you'll be limited by that own belief. Uh, there's also something else we need to understand. People have certain personalities and traits. Some people are like me. They're natural entrepreneurs. They're terrible employees. They're always going to buck the system. They're always going to question authority. They're always going to want more. They're always going to try something new. They're always going to try something different. And the first thing they're going to do when you tell them how something is done is go, how can I take that apart and make it better? And those people become senior level people in companies if they can deal with the conventional education system and the theory and the politics and the bullshit, or they become owners of companies. And that's, that's where those people go. And if they stay in the employment sector, they go to the top 10% and most of them hit the top 2%. Now here's the thing about a top 10 percentile in anything. 90% of the people can't get in. I'll say that again, because some of you are going to struggle with math because of this public education system. If you have something where there's a top 10th percentile, 10% are at the top, 90% can't ever get in. It's impossible. If they did, they would become the top 11% if 1% got in. See, basic math. So there are people that are cut out in our current system to go into that 10%. There are people that are going to be in the bottom 50%. And I don't care if they get a master's degree. Twice over. They're still going to be in that bottom 50%. Sometimes because it's a, a capability issue, but generally it's not anything to do with capability. All human beings are extremely capable of doing things they want to do. All. Unless there's a, a, a true mental or physical impairment to that want, all human beings are massively capable at doing anything that they want to do. The reality is the current system puts most people into a job they don't want to do. They have no interest in doing. How many of you are driving to or from work right now as you're listening to me and thinking, I don't want to go to my job ever again? You're not alone. The majority of people feel that way. Why? Our system creates it. Because our system says there's rules and there's limitations. And you have to study things that have relevant value, in the words of our comment, they have to be relevant to somebody else's idea of what's important, so you can fit into the world as it is today. And think about this. We're telling our children, when they're 14, average age people go to high school, 14, 15 years old, that the way you're going to learn now and the way you're going to plan your life over the next 8 to 10 years has to be relevant to today. And when they graduate 8 to 10 years from now, the world doesn't even look anything like it did. What was this world like in 2001 versus 2011, technology-wise? Now, if they do that, and they go into a career, and they take, let's say, 5 to 10 years to build up momentum, so that 20 years down the road, they're hitting that stride. Right? That's the 30-ish, 31, 32. That's where most people are coming into their professional stride if they've really worked hard. That's, it's almost 20 years. It's almost 20 years from entering high school to hitting that professional stride. What was this world like in 1991, technology-wise? How many careers that exist today didn't even exist in 1991? So why the hell do we limit our children? Why do we say these are the rules? That these are the things that are relevant? You know what was relevant in 1991? People still bought records. You know? Round things with vinyl that spun around in circles. People bought VCRs. VCR repair was a legitimate profession in 1991. How many VCR repairmen have you run into lately? How many VCRs have you run into lately? 
This concept of telling our kids this is what's relevant is bullshit. Because here's the reality. They're going to create what's relevant. As adults, we need to understand that we've peaked. Run the way down. They're coming. They're going to evolve language. They're going to evolve thought. They're going to evolve technology. We take it to a certain point. We pass the baton, and they go past us. And it may be hard for you to believe, but the kid that uses terms like LOL and roll, you know, ROLF, right, and, and misspells words to fit them into his Twitter post, it's not because he doesn't know how to spell them. It's because he needs to fit into 140 characters. He's probably going to accomplish more in this world than you did or I did. Because he's, he's going to have more to work with as the society and the technology evolve and the planet evolves. Unless we totally screw it up and break everything, which is a possibility, part of why we prepare. But even in then, as we take that step back, they're going to take the step forward. You know, my wife even says, well, you can't say this in a job interview. You can't say LLL in a, in a job interview. You have to say, you know, that's funny. So not if you're interviewing to be the social media marketing manager for a large corporation that doesn't understand why they can't do a damn thing right with Twitter. <laughs> See, what this reminds me of, this, this addiction to the current system, it's, it's what I call the monthly bitch sessions about social media on major news outlets. All of them do it. MSNBC, you know, you know, CNN, Fox News. At least once a month, you see all the talking heads get together, bitching about Twitter and the way kids communicate on the Internet. Saying, you know, this isn't professional. These poor kids are going to have to go get a job. You know what they're actually saying? We're scared shitless because these kids are taking over and more of them listen to them than listen to us. Because that kid with all that shorthand on Twitter that has a sports blog with, with, with like two and a half million people reading it a day, He's got more power as an individual than any of those talking heads on Fox News do. Fox News, for now, as a total entity, may have more power than that one kid. But that 19-year-old kid that really knows his shit about the Dallas Cowboys, that has 2 million people from the Cowboy Nation following him, by the way, I hate the Cowboys, but I, I appreciate the kid with the blog, has more power in his way to influence fans of the Cowboys than that talking head does on, talk, on Fox News. And the, here's the thing. The guy on Fox News that thinks it's important that everything's spelled right in your resume, he doesn't even, doesn't even want to admit it, but he knows the resume's freaking dead. We're putting kids into an educational system based on a paradigm that's largely based on 1955 and add computers to it. That's our current educational system. It's, it's 1955 with computers. Revisionist history... A nostalgic view of things that never happened. A belief that you got to get a degree to matter. That these are the rules and you have to follow them. And everybody sit straight in your, your desk. Don't slouch, John. Right? My real name's John. You know how many times I heard that in school? Part of why I turned my name to Jack, I think. Because I got tired of hearing John sit up. I don't want to sit up. You're boring the piss out of me is what I felt like. Couldn't say it, you know, at like 12. That's what it felt like. You're boring the piss out of me. I've already read your book. I already know everything you're going to teach me in this class. I even had a teacher in fifth grade say to me, I don't know why you won't put more effort into this. You know more about this than I do. I had a teacher tell me that. And my, my thought, and I dared not say it, because we were still scared of teachers back then, was I think you just answered your own question. Why should I put effort into this if I know more than you about it? You know how many kids there are in school that feel that way? Now, 
I know that a lot of you out there are struggling with this because you're thinking of a typical high school classroom. And the kids jaw-jacking with each other, worrying about what party they're going to go to tonight, bored to tears by the teacher. But what I'm telling you is that's not their fault. Sometimes there's troublemakers anywhere. And troublemakers should have their ass stomped on. And that's one thing we can learn from the way school used to be. A healthy dose of fear that you're going to be in trouble and it's going to actually matter. There's a place for that. So that everybody else can have an environment conducive to their own learning. But if, if every time you think of a, a high school classroom, you think of those bored kids, can you really blame them 100% for that result? Because we built the K-12 through system that's creating them in record numbers today. And I ask you, what would happen if graduating from the 5th grade to the 6th grade didn't just mean another class with more work and more homework and more reading, it meant more freedom. And going from 6th to 7th meant more freedom. And going from 7th to 8th meant more freedom. And if by the time kids were seniors in high school, if they had met a, met a minimum level of standard, they would be studying anything they wanted, and yes, Spider-Man comic books, if that's what they really want. Because somebody has to come up with the next comic book. Because it's going to sell, and it's going to make money. Someone has to come up with a great new innovative idea. Someone has to come up with a great new way to illustrate comics. Someone has to come up with a way that takes comics to a new level using online technology. That's not just putting a comic book on a Kindle but doesn't go all the way to animation. Someone has to find that middle ground. It could be your kid that wants to read Spider-Man that you're angry with because he always wants to read Spider-Man. Does it mean he shouldn't learn English, reading, writing, arithmetic, some basic science, some basic history, some basic civics, some basic responsibilities? But all of that stuff can be buckled into a way that makes sense to kids, that makes them ask, well, why? Let me put it to you another way. We talked a little bit today about the Bill of Rights. What if instead of saying, well, in 1776, we signed the Declaration of Independence, and that's why you're free today. And the kid's sitting there locked up in a classroom, thinking, I'm not free. If I was free, I'd be out there looking at worms in the dirt or something. What if we said, I want everybody in this classroom to know something. I think it's very important that you all know this. Every single one of you in this classroom, because you're a human being, that lives on this planet has rights. There's certain things that you have a right to. You're not just entitled to them. Entitled means I, I, I must give them to you. Rights means they're yours and you have to claim them. And there's certain things that other people will never be able to do to you because you have those rights. Now, if I'm talking to a group of fourth graders today and I say those words, how many of them do you think I have their full attention at that point? Because they're interested in that. And what if I use that as a leaping off to teach about the Bill of Rights? I can't do that if my lesson plan says that I'm not supposed to teach the Bill of Rights in fourth grade in my class at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm supposed to be teaching whatever standardized bullshit test my state's come up with down to the point where I'm actually teaching the test. Standardized testing is not bad in of itself. It's the way that it's administered. We're going to judge the teacher on the test. We're going to judge the student on the test. And the test is going to be very formulaic to the point where the, t the kids are literally terrified of the test. And the teacher's terrified of the test. Where if you're teaching 
the fundamentals that a kid needs to know, the test should be an afterthought. It should be an assessment. It should even be a pass-fail. It would be, if this, if this teacher is producing 25% of the kids can't even pass this test, this teacher needs training. This teacher needs to do a better job. And don't give me the sad song bullshit I get some from teachers. My kids are just dumb. No, you're a shitty teacher. Your kids are not dumb. That's a, that's a cop-out. That's a pile of crap. That's what's created a socialistic system where everybody's supposed to be the same in the first place. You know, there's a reason that you have a freaking grading system between A and F. When I was in school, you know, I don't know if they do this anymore. We had weighted Fs. You could, you could get an F, right? That was a failure. And if you got a low enough average, you could get an F1. And if you got a, lo a lower score, you get like an F2. And if your average was like under, like under 30 something, like 33 or 39, it was F3. You could fail harder. There was a grading scale down. You know how this worked. You know, your grade point average, if you're an A, you're a 4.0. If you get an A and an F in a, in a course with only two semesters, right? You end up with a C average. You know, a 4 plus 0. Divided by 2 equals 2, 2.0 C. Right? So if you got an F, the best you could do even with an A in the second half was a C average for the course. Right? Guess what? If you got an F2 and an A, you got a 4.0 plus a negative 2, right? Which is, do you know? 4 plus a negative is 2, right? You got two divided by two, you got a one, you got a D. Which meant in a two semester course, if you got an F3, you were going to fail the course no matter what. Why? Because life actually had consequences there. Some people would say that's demotivating. I would say that if you do so poorly in the first half of a course that you can't get 35% of the material or better right, you, you really shouldn't have passed the course anyway. I think that was the justification there. And I'm not saying everything they did was right back then, but it did make some sense. You know, the one good thing about high school when I went was when I got my three credits of this and four credits of that, I pretty much had to take like one class as a senior to graduate. So what I did was I took a whole crap load of science classes about interesting things that I thought were cool. Freshwater biology, astronomy, all kinds of cool stuff like that. I actually enjoyed my senior year because I only had one course I even gave a damn about as far as passing it. The rest of them, I didn't even care what my grades were. I did really good in them. It was just kind of crazy. Did better in those than most of the other courses I had. Why? It was my choice. I wanted to know. I wanted to learn. I was interested in that. I had math done. You know, we could we get accounting courses could count as a math credit. So I doubled up. And by the time I was a senior, I didn't even have a math course. I was so happy. I think I turned out okay. And I think that I could have turned out better if I had a system that had recognized this and encouraged it early on. I think that if we created a system for our kids where they were gaining more freedom in their education... As they progressed, we would have a better educational system. It would require those teachers who are degreed professionals to actually step up to their level of ability. Not beyond their ability, 
but what they're actually capable of. See, I think most teachers that go into the business of teaching actually want to be teachers. They want to teach children. They want them to learn. They want to be involved. They care. They don't do it just for a job. They don't do it just for money. If you're doing it just for money and you're smart enough to get a four-year degree, there's better professions money-wise than being a teacher unless you live in some of the school districts in the Midwest and the Northeast and the West Coast. There's a few of those, and there's a few peppered throughout the rest of the country. But in most places, teachers are paid crap. Their benefits are crap. And their, their lifestyle's crap. And their quality of their job is crap. And the ones that don't have the quality of life issues, and I mean quality of life on the job, break the rules. They break away from the lesson plan. They do things beyond what they're supposed to do. They're the good teachers. I'm saying, why don't we create a system that encourages that rather than discourages that? And I'm going to get an email, I work for the school, and they let me do what I want. You're one in a thousand. You're one in a thousand. I've seen it. Schools today are more concerned with the students showing up than anything else. Why? Because if they don't get a certain number of students to show up a certain number of days, they don't get a certain amount of money from the state. It's a money game. You know, we had this big issue when my son was in school. If he's going to be out for more than two days, he needs a doctor's note. And my response was, Bullshit. If I want to take him to Washington, D.C., show him the Korean War Memorial, and say, see this, the Vietnam Memorial's over there. We're going to go see it, too. This is the one nobody looks at. Here's what the Korean War history is about. And that takes me more than three days, and I end up taking him, and he comes out of school for that. I'll damn well do it because he's my son, and you will not tell me how to raise my son. And when you give me your bullshit like his vice principal did about his fiduciary responsibility, I said, you don't even need to use that word. That's what I told the man. You don't even need to use the word fiduciary. With the amount of property taxes I pay for this school system and the lackluster performance that it puts out. Don't you tell me the word fiduciary. You shouldn't even know the word fiduciary based on what I've seen come out of your school. And that's how I really feel. So I want to here at the end, though, give you some solutions. If your kid's in one of these systems and you can't homeschool and you can't unschool, um, I'm going to tell you the truth. You can homeschool and you can unschool. You just don't have to do it full time. You need to encourage your children to learn what they want to learn about, even if they go to public school. You need to say, what are you actually interested in? Let's go get you some books on that. Let's look up some websites on that. Let's come up with an experiment on that. Sooner or later, in a science class, they're going to have to do an experiment, and it could be already finished. Because they did one they liked. And they might just tune it up a little bit. They'll probably get an A. You need to encourage your children to learn about what they're interested in, even if school doesn't like it. And you need to not be so obsessed over your kids' grades and whether or not they're going to go to college. There are kids that are right for a university path. And if that's your kid, encourage them, work with them, and get them in there, and get them the best education you can with the least debt possible, like none. Send them to community college for two years, have them work a job and save their ass off, and transfer to a university and do their second two years there. They'll save a fortune. And they'll, they'll probably save enough money if they're working while they're doing that to buy a freaking house when they get out of college. Maybe two houses, the way some people are paying for their degrees today. But if they're not right, don't push them. I made one of the biggest mistakes in my life when, when my son was very young. We'd come into some money, and I wanted to set up something for his future. And I talked to my financial advisor, and we put away about $40,000 for his future. 
We put it in something called a 529A plan, which is designed for college, which has tax advantages, and but it also says if you're going to take the money back out and do anything with it other than college, there's penalties and interest and things like that on it. Well, he's done two years of college. He really doesn't know what he wants to do going forward. So at the completion of two years, he's done for now. And he's going to go just live his life and try to figure some things out. I don't have a problem with that. Had I not put his money into a 529A, we might not have shoved him in there in the first place, which he's not right for it. You know, violating my own, hey, you got the money, you might as well go. At least he's not going to come out with debt. He's still got half the money. But... If he decides one day, I want to learn to fly helicopters. And to go to school to do that is about $30,000. He's got 20 sitting there. It'll cost him 25% of the 20 to get the money out because it's not part of what's approved. Because it's not in the public education system. It's not where they want you to go. Now, you tell me if a person is a qualified helicopter pilot, are they not a marketable person? Far more than fixed wing, by the way. So I would never advise any parent out there to contribute money to a 529A plan for a child to go to college because you don't know if they're going to qualify to go to college. You're not going to know if they're going to want to go to college. Put the money somewhere where they can get it when you decide they can get it. And if they want to start a business, let them start a business. If they want to go to college, let them go to college. If they want to go to trade school, let them go to trade school. If they want to join the Army, get money from the Army to go to college, pay for college out of the Army, and then take the money and buy a freaking house with it, good. If by the time they're 30, they want to buy a Corvette with it and drive around and be cool, fine, they're 30. If you put it away for them, it's their money. Trust in their ability to think for themselves. Don't tell me children are ignorant. I've seen too much proof of their innate intelligence You know, I talked about selling and marketing in the beginning. I want to finish with a story today about my niece, Meyer. And this is the innate intelligence of a child in knowing how to sell. She was about four or five years old when this happened. I'd say four is probably more accurate. And she was going to her grandma's house. And she loved to go with grandma to the dollar store and get little makeup things and stuff like that for her purse. That was one of her big things. She just liked to do it. didn't matter how much she had. It's what she liked to do. Judge not the four-year-old for liking to shop for stuff. She probably learned it by watching her parents and other people around her. But it's what she liked to do, and that was her goal. So she set a goal. I want to go shopping with Grandma. Then she exercised a sales formula in one of the most spot-on ways I've ever seen, a sales formula that I was taught as a very young salesperson called the cash formula. The cash formula stands for this, create, agitate, solve, help. If I want to sell you something in a classic car salesman way, create a problem. Your car is not doing so well. It's kind of broken down. It's kind of beat up. Not really worth a lot of money anymore. It doesn't look cool. Whatever. You're right. And then I'm going to agitate the problem. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I don't even know how much longer that car is going to last. You know? And if I'm really smart, I'm going to get you talking about the problem, and you're going to agitate it yourself. And then I'm going to solve the problem for you. Man, we got this great car over here, easy financing, whatever. And then I'm going to help you buy the car. You know, if you really want this car, I can make it happen. I can talk to my manager, get something worked out. And, and that's the basic formula. Create, agitate, solve, help. So Very simple, but it's actually quite sophisticated. Watch a four-year-old use the cash formula to get to go to the dollar store. 
Before she goes to Grandma's house, she realizes if she says she wants to go to the dollar store and buy stuff to put in her purse, that Grandma will say, well, you've got lots of stuff there. Maybe we don't need to go. It probably happened before. She learned self-directed learning, took all the stuff out of the purse, made it empty. And she goes to Grandma's house and says, Grandma, I want to play dress up with you. But my purse is empty. There's no stuff in here. We don't have any makeup. We don't have any lipstick. We don't have any of that stuff. And Grandma says, well, okay, you know, kind of a little pushback there. Now, Grandma's an easy sell, right? But there's a four-year-old working here. So when she agitates the pro program, problem, you know, I'm kind of bored. You know, it's not that much money. We could just go now. And uh, eventually says, you know, we could go do this. And let her solve And then there's a little bit of deal-making. Well, if we do this, when we come home, I'll we'll help you with the dishes. I'll be really good. So you give it a little push to get off the end. Well, that's the cash formula. Now, in my family, people thought this was cute, but manipulative. A little child getting her way. And this is what we take away from children in our current system. And let me explain to you how this works. We put children into a system that systematically deconstructs this natural innate ability to sell and market oneself. And then that child has to eventually get into a college, and that's so formalized anymore into paperwork and scores that they generally don't have to, unless they're going to a really prestigious university, they don't have to sit through an interview with a dean or anything like that. They just get in. And they go through four to six to ten more years of this, depending on how long it takes to get through college now. Right? It's supposed to be four years. A lot of people used to do it in three, and now it's ten years of crap to get the same education. And then they get out in the real world, and finally, they have to do some things. I have to go talk to someone like me, a hard-ass, nuts-and-bolts individual that only gives a shit about how much you're going to bring to my company, and they have to sell themselves to me. They have to sit in front of me, and I have to go, why should I hire you? And they have to look at me and go, because I'm a hard worker. And I'm dependent. I'm like, oh, shut up. I've done that in interviews, by the way. Shut up. I don't want to hear that. You're not going to work out here if that's how you're going to answer my questions. What do you know about my company? What do you know about what we do? And how can you contribute to that? That's what I want to know. I don't give a shit where you went to school. I don't care, really. I don't. I don't care what your grades were. Did you ever work in this environment before? If not, why do you think it's right for you? Now, if we've taken the four- or five-year-old that could execute the cash formula and gave him a college education, he was sitting in front of me, he would have understood to learn about my business before he sat down in that chair across from me, and he would have said, I understand that your business is struggling with X, Y, and Z, and here's how I think we can fix that. And even if his answer is completely wrong, I'm hooked. I want this man or this woman working for me. Do they teach you that in school, that's so important to get a good job? No. No. Has the teacher teaching you ever sat in front of someone like me and earned the right to work for me? No. And most of them that, that, that are teachers as a second career, they couldn't hack it, so that's why they went and taught. I'm not saying anything bad about teachers in general. I'm saying there's people there. That's why they're there. I know teachers who were teachers and thought, you know, this doesn't pay very well. They got professional careers, and they ran back within four years to teaching. Not because it was what they really loved or they wouldn't have left in the first place because they couldn't hack it. Because they had to deal with people like me every day. They had this great education, and they worked for people sometimes that didn't even graduate high school if they got into a smaller company. And they were tough-ass son-of-a-bitches that they had to work for. And they didn't want to hear about theory. They wanted to hear about results. They didn't want just knowledge. They wanted application. 
They wanted self-thinkers, creative thinkers, doers. We learn a lot about what to think and what to remember and what to know in school, but what do we learn about what to do, how to do? Where's the school I can go to right now that will teach me to be a professional podcaster? Where's that school at? Is it even possible to create a school like that? Is it not a relevant skill? Do I not pay my bills with it? Do not thousands of people tune in every day and get a positive result from it? What school would have created that if I didn't self-direct my learning? During, before, and after, right? I mean, I was always learning. Because I was a tough-ass son of a bitch, and frankly, the system couldn't beat the desire to learn out of me. The system couldn't box me in and make me, but most people, the majority of people, are not that strong. And if you put them in a system, the system will shape them, and that's why the system exists. Understand, your current educational system does not exist to turn out well-educated children and make them into well-educated adults. It is designed to create conforming employees. That's what it's designed to do. Employees that will conform to an eight-hour workday. How similar is a school to an office? Sit at your desk, sit in your cubicle. Do what I say, do what I say. You get certain days off, you should be grateful for. You get certain days off, you should be grateful for. If you don't like what I say, I'll send you higher up to the principal. If you don't like what I say, you know, maybe you need a meeting with our district manager. It's not my rule, it's the principal's rule. If it was up to me, I'd let you do it, Johnny, but I can't because the principal said no. Tom, you know, I'd love to let you take vacation, but the department head said you can't do it. We have too many people off. you got to schedule another day. Similarities are eerie. They're not by coincidence. They're not accidental. That's how the whole thing's set up. That's how it's designed. Everything that you really need to know to function at a high school graduate level You could learn in about five years and then maybe two years of specialized training. Five years for the base, two years of let's, let's go to a little bit higher. Because 90% of what they learn, quote unquote learn, is not retained or remembered anyway. And that's true of college. Now, here's what I know about the things I've learned and the things I've watched other people learn that they were interested in. The retention's through the roof. The retention is through the roof. If my retention wasn't through the roof on things that I found important, how could I get on this show? 739 episodes now. I did the first four or 500 in my car. Realized that. I did, it was over 400, I think, in the car before I, I switched to full-time. So I was able to articulate all of the information while driving a car, weaving in and out of traffic in Dallas, Texas. What school did I learn that in? What school taught me all that information so that I could retain it and pass it on to you, so you could take what you wanted and do with it? None of them. So here's my big message to parents that can't homeschool and can't set up these unschool environments and things like that. You can do it. You can do it. It would have been great if I had somebody encouraging that in me as a kid, but no one was. I had to do it myself, and some people just have it in them. They're going to do it, but it's in every person, 
And that's your job as a parent is to encourage that. Where our commenter, who I have to thank, because in his anger and ignorance, he spawned this whole episode, which I think was turned into a great episode. But where he said that parents are escaping their responsibility by unschooling, no, dumbass. And I'm sorry I had to say that, but I just did because it just bugs me. I really shouldn't insult you. I'm sorry. I'll apologize on the air to you for saying that. But no, no, I'll use your own word. No, in your ignorance, you don't see their real responsibility. Your responsibility as a parent is unschooling. Your responsibility as a parent is to have less authority over your child every day until you have no job anymore. And you encourage that by teaching responsibility, but you also encourage that by teaching the ability of the child to learn for themselves. And that is unschooling. And I think we need a radical shift in the way our nation helps our children learn through the institution we call school. But until that comes, it's our responsibility to encourage it in every way that we can. Get them shooting, get them fishing, get them hunting, get them digging holes in gardens, get them going to museums, getting them, get them researching things, get them going to visit places, get them interested, and, and just throw a million things at them, and when they pick ten they're interested in, run with that. And when they burn one out, don't get upset, run with the other nine. If there's one, run with one until another one shows up. I don't care what it is, run with it, but encourage them to go beyond the surface. And you'll build great, strong, young adults who will be more successful than you. And that should be every parent's dream. It drives me crazy when I see a parent that's envious of their child's success. Especially a parent who thinks their child did everything wrong as growing up. And they're just not responsible and blah, blah, blah. And they never did what I said. And now the child's more successful than they ever were. And then they're envious in their success. It's resentment that we didn't see the errors of our own generation's way and break away the way our kids did. We should encourage rebellion. We should encourage breaking away. There always has to be some wisdom and leadership and temperament and mentorship with that. But when your child says that's all wrong, remember something. They just might be right. And if you don't encourage them to research that, then you're holding back progress. And if they're wrong and you encourage them to research it deeply enough, they'll find out they're wrong and they'll believe their own results more than they'll believe you telling them, no, because I said so. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
Revolution is you.